Hello, and welcome to Brave Stories, stories by and about children with cancer and the family and friends who love them. Brave Stories is brought to you by Brave the Shave, an organization that provides support to these children and their families when they need it most. This can mean life-saving medicine, rent or car payments, but most of all means being there for the children and their families. Brave the Shave is a community of families impacted by cancer supporting each other through compassion and kindness. Every child is unique, and so is their story. We hope that by listening to these stories of strength, joy, and sorrow, you can be inspired to share the same goodwill in your life. During this episode of Brave Stories, we are talking to Randy Othout, the mother of Cully Othout. He has joined the ranks of our Brave the Shave angels, and Mike Eggle, one of the founders of Brave the Shave, is talking to her about her experience today. This is the second part of that interview. So the, um, the difficult thing, obviously, the, when Cully passed, the, the, um, the devastation that you felt, the devastation that impacted your family, how do you think everybody else in the family was able to deal with that? that that's a hard question. Um, I know with my son, Reed, he commented one day, I noticed he wasn't talking about Cully as much. And he said, because when I do, you cry. And But having lost a child, a parent's biggest fear is people forgetting. Um, so I love when people talk about Cully. And I wanted Reed to be able to express his feeling and not feel bad for bringing it up like he was hurting us by talking about Cully. It just was so raw at that point that it was hard to talk about Cully without crying. And just before Cully passed away, we were in the hospital room and I was crying and my oldest son, Nathan, um, he 12 at the time. And he said, mom, I don't like seeing you sad. How long is this going to affect you? And I said, this will always affect me. This, you know, this becomes who we are, but it won't always be it won't always be this depressing. It won't be this um, negative. There will be a time when we can think of Cully and smile again. Well, and you've managed to do that at times. When we've talked, even now we're talking, you know, to, to laugh, to bring the, the memory of Cully, you know, and his little, cute little have a lovely day. You've managed to do that. And I, sh- I do want to make that clear. You know, not everybody uh, is able to talk about this afterwards, um, and nor should they have to be. But many, many people uh, very much want to talk, want to have the conversation, because what you said, you don't want Cully to be forgotten. Right. You want, you want those bright memories, those bright moments to be remembered. It was a hard realization for me that after Cully passed away, any new person that I met wouldn't know Cully and he was such a huge part of my life so the only way that they know Cully is through what we tell them so yeah I when I talk about him now it he brings such a smile to my face and I think about little things that he did and chuckle about him and <laughs> so you you've told me a couple of things 
What's your favorite Cully story? <laughs> when he, I looked back and he was holding a nose hair trimmer and there was a big chunk missing out of the front of his hair. <laughs> and I looked back <laughs> at the floor and there was this blonde chunk laying on the floor and I picked it up and I said, you see this Cully? He says, yeah. And I said, it used to go right here. And he said, it doesn't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was just a bald spot right out of the front of his head. <laughs> you know, leave a nose hair trimmer laying around and that's what you get. <laughs> or when we were in Rochester, my nieces would call and he would sit and visit with them. And, and if he was busy, he didn't have a whole lot of time for him. So I can remember him hanging up and he said to my niece, he said, don't call us, we'll call you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a three-year-old can get away with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the steroids. There are so many steroids stories because he just was so angry and he didn't want me near him sometimes. If I would get near, he would just bark at me. And I can remember him telling me one morning, he said, I only like you when the lights are off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's got hurt. <laughs> the steroids are tough. I, I get yeah. that. He didn't want to see me. <laughs> no. Um, so we've talked a lot about Cully and what a beautiful boy he was. And we've touched on the fact that, uh, you know, after a, a, a battle, uh, he he did not survive. He he passed, and I was wondering if you could just talk to me a little bit about that. You've told me a little bit about it, um, and how it you handled it, and how you uh, dealt with that moment. Uh, the night that Cully passed away, we were in the hospital, and our youngest. The next two youngest children were with us. Um, it was the middle of the night, so luckily they were sleeping. Um, and Cully was taking breaths about every 50 seconds, um, which is not enough to sustain life. And I remember he would take a breath. And then the color would come back to him. And it was such a long pause. I, I tried holding my own breath that long. And the color would start to drain out of him. And his fingernails would go blue. And then he would take another breath. And we had been through so many times where they said, it's a matter of hours for Cully. And then he would bounce back. So I kept waiting for that bounce back, even at this point. And so he would take a breath. And I'd say, there you go. And, you know suction him and was still caring for him and scott looked at me and he finally said randy it's not going to get any better because i kept cheering for more breaths you know and then it was just too much and we watched all of his organs shut down at the same time and we watched his heart rate come down on the monitor and we were laying with him and just everything went down to zero at that point and we knew it was the end and since it was about three in the morning, we just went to sleep. We, he stayed with us until morning. There was no way they were going to be taking him from me. And so we stayed and just slept until morning and then got up and got ready to go home and 
they promised me they wouldn't take him down to the morgue in the hospital. Um, I had him wrapped in his blanket and I just remember going over to him and saying, I'm so sorry this was your life because hospital was all that he remembered. Mm -hmm. It was almost two years of treatment and being almost five, you know, he didn't have many memories from prior to treatment. And I was just so sad that that was the life he was given and hope that we made it as good for him as, as we could with the situation. I know that he knew he was loved and I know he loved in return, but we had to leave him there that day. And that was really hard driving away from the hospital. Mm. And we stopped at a gas station in Tower City. And I just remember walking around and looking at the other people and they had no idea what our situation was. And I just, you know, looked at others and thought, what are they going through? Mm. You know, if, if we had said that we just, our four-year-old son just died and we left him at the hospital, it would have been shocking, you know, that it's not something you tell people, but you just never know people's situations and what they're dealing with. So we came home, and as we pulled onto Main Street in Mandan, we looked straight ahead, and in the clouds, I saw big angel wings. Mm-hmm. Scott saw it as a dove, but it was just right over main street in Mandan. And it was as we came home and it was just such a nice way of knowing Cully was with us. So like I said, my identity was in taking care of Cully and I wasn't ready to let that go. And the next few things that I say may seem strange to people, but every night I slept with Cully. I cared for him. He slept with his arm over my neck. He had to be touching me. And so it was strange to not have him there. So the night before his funeral, I requested that they keep him at the church. And I went over and I talked to the priest and I got permission to stay there with him that night. And my mom and sister came over and we took Cully out and I laid with him on the floor and I held him and I rocked him and we got video of it and he looks so calm and just like he's sleeping and like I had rocked him so many other times and I didn't stay there that night we put him back and and we joked about how upset the funeral home would be if they, if they knew what I had done. <laughs> well, we, we won't tell them. <laughs> but I needed it. I had to hold him. And the, one of the hardest moments of the funeral was I didn't want it to start because that's when they closed the casket and I knew how final it was. So whenever I've gone to a funeral since then, that's always the most poignant time for me is I know what the family's going through. It, just before it starts, they're out there and they're saying their final goodbye. <laughs> we had a really strange situation out at the cemetery. They, the vault that they sent was too small. So they weren't able to lower Cully into the vault. So they raised the casket back up and moved him off to the side 
And I said, can we open it? So everyone else was there. And so Scott went up to his family and he said, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Randy wants you to get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so we opened the casket and, and we got one more chance to say goodbye. And the sun was shining on Cully and he looked absolutely beautiful. And, you know, it was a mistake on the part of the funeral home, but I'm grateful for mm -hmm. it that last time you closed the casket when at the church that was tough so I got to see the sun shining on him again and my last moments are of him looking so peaceful and it wasn't a, a dreary moment in the church right and you did such a good job I mean you you tried so hard I I'm very grateful to Dr. Anim in Fargo because we always had a backup plan of one more treatment of arenotecan and temozolomide. Um, Cully had responded well to it, and we only did it once, and then we started the trial. So we didn't, usually when something's working during cancer treatment, you continue with that. But we got into the trial, and we went by their protocol. So we always thought, okay, if things turn, we're going to do arenotecan and temozolomide one more time. And we got to Fargo and we did those last scans and Dr. Anim said, it's everywhere. He said, there's nothing more we can do. And I begged him, I said, please don't take this away from us. We have to know. And he went home that night and he came back the next morning and he held my hand. And I appreciate that he was human at that moment because he said, we'll do it. But you need to know this won't do anything. But at least I live without regrets, and I know that we tried all that was available to us. And that's why research is so important to me now, because we exhausted all of our options, and I want more options for other families in that situation now. Well, and, and that's something that you've really put energy into. Uh, the two things that uh, you've, you've put energy and time and your heart and soul into, one, supporting these other families. And I've seen that. You just talked a little bit uh, about, you know, a mother who is going through something that you've gone through, that you can be support for her. And so many of these families are thrown into this, and the moment they get the news, they have to leave without luggage to go someplace else. Their life is totally thrown into chaos. And it's amazing to me how people step up, you step up, and others. Um, but that second part that you've stepped up for is being an advocate for research. How do you feel that advocacy is going and how do you see it going in the future? Um, it's taken such a hit this year. You know, with fundraising for Brave the Shave, I always felt so good that we were able to to give Joe at the Andrew McDonough Foundation a fair amount each year for research. And, and it's such a change this year with fundraising and seeing a reduction and our families, our local families are first, and I'm glad we're still able to support them, but I know that research is lacking as a result. So it's hard to see that, but I know that we've made progress in the past and there's, there's encouraging trials going on right now in research and um, there will be change. You know, we, we've seen that with leukemia, how, you know, the, Leukemia used to be terminal, right? And now it has what is it around a eighty to ninety percent success rate? 
it's caught, caught in the right time. Yep. Yeah. So that's, that's because of research and we just need to put more towards it, uh, raise awareness because so many people don't understand that the lack of funds that go towards pediatric cancer research, so much of the research that's done is for adult cancers and there it's a completely different beast than pediatric cancers. One of the amazing things you said uh, previously is that, you know, the survival rate before three, you know, is so much drastic, so drastically different than the survival rate after three. And it is just so very different in terms of how it impacts a, a child who's in growth, who's in certain stages uh, versus an adult. It's really quite a, uh, a substantially different thing. And the research that goes into it are substantially different things as well. Right. Um, a lot of people think that for cancer treatments, they can just cut the dosage and, and that'll work for a child. But the truth is that a lot of times children receive higher dosages because mm -hmm. they metabolize it so much more quickly. Is metabolize the right word? Yeah. We need Angie. <laughs> Where's Angie? Come here. Our local stand-in physician who knows better. <laughs> um, no, and you think about those little bodies taking that much uh, in. It's kind of an amazing mm -hmm. thing. Um, is there any, I guess I would like to just pause and say thank you. And I don't know, it, this was a hard thing for me to learn uh, years ago is to just be willing to talk about some things that are just really tough to talk about. But the reason is, is we, we want them understood. We want Kali remembered. We want people to have a sense of, you know, why and how this happens. Um, and I just really very much want to thank you for being willing to uh, to share that. I really deeply those, appreciate it. Those personal moments that people haven't lived through, those a lot of times are the moments that make them go, wow, you know, and, and relate to that specific child. And those can be turning points. Thank you for listening. More importantly, thank you for being a part of the conversation surrounding our kids and their families. We hope you've been inspired to be a part of our community through your financial and emotional support. Please visit BraveTheShave.net or our Facebook page to learn more about our kids and their incredible journeys and donate. Since 2006, the people of Brave the Shave have been working to support children with cancer and children's cancer research. We hope someday to be done with our work. But for now, please go to bravetheshave.net and be brave this week. Thank you.